A great man once said, you people got to respect the older generation because we try to pass on to you. It doesn't mean that you have to take everything that we say, but you can take bits and pieces that help your life and move on. All I see right now is everybody living for the fast life, meaning your life could go quite quickly. I'd rather have a long life. So this is why we're here, to educate ourselves so we will have a long fucking life. And if you don't like what I got to say, again, you already paid. It's going for a good cause. You can go out the exit. That man's name was Willie Ninja, and he will never be forgotten. Are you blessed enough to still have your dance elders around to share with you? When they speak, do you listen? As you think on it, let me invite you to sit back, pour yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. I'm Rob Celtic, and this is Drinking and Dance at the End of the World. Drinking and Dance at the End of the World. Today, I have the privilege and honor of welcoming a living legend onto the show. He is the godfather of the legendary House of Ninja, co-creator and star of such films as Check Your Body at the Door, staple and pillar of the New York Vogue whacking and house scenes, and is a mentor and surrogate father to hundreds of dancers around the globe. A certified master of the nunchaku, he has never lost a duel, with the exception of a giant cinnamon roll that we both agreed never to speak about again. <laughs> it is my honor to welcome the one and only Archie Burnett. How's it going, Arch? Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate you uh, coming on to this um, dinky-ass podcast. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so funny. Um, yeah, I said... Uh, you know, it's so funny when you get older, you kind of uh, <laughs> mis <laughs> misuse words and so on. Uh -huh. I'm I'm the grandfather of the House of Ninja, as opposed to the Godfather, but I guess both is kind of like the same. So ah, uh, okay. Well, then I will definitely keep that in mind for next time. My bad. No, that's all right. That's all right. Because I I said that in a podcast uh, not too long ago. Oh yeah. That, yeah one of those nights where you didn't have enough sleep and i said what did i say and then when i heard it back i went oh wow <laughs> oh no yes yes well yes. now you're two for two yes exactly exactly what are you drinking today archie well let's see i'm drinking an english blend of tea that i so happened to get uh about four years ago when i was in ireland oh yeah mm-hmm Nice. Yes. Well, and Burnett uh, is keeping it classy. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's uh, Sunday and a quarantine, I am um, also drinking a White Claw. So it's oh, wow. one, of those, one of those interviews, I think. All right, now. All right. Well, we will uh, start this off with a uh, toast. Cheers to your health. Yes, cheers, cheers. Mm. All right. So... Without any further ado, you have spent almost five decades in the dance scene, um, having mastered various styles along the way. Uh, who are some of your biggest inspirations coming up, and who inspires you today? Okay, well, <clears throat> I think for that question, it's a um, it's an interesting, strange combination. Um, back in my time when I was younger, um, because I was forbidden to dance because of my particular, the way I was raised, um, my actual first dance influences came from television. Hmm. So I would say uh, the old musicals, um, I would say Soul Train, I would say American Bandstand, any dance show that I could find on TV that I can sneak on because usually those shows came on the weekend. 
Uh-huh. And being raised as a six, uh, a rather strict Seventh-day Adventist, you know, you weren't supposed to be watching anything on Saturday because Saturday was considered the Sabbath, almost kind of like being Jewish, you know? I see. So, so you can imagine the challenges in the house. <laughs> but, but you know, when you when there's a need, you find a way. So, you know, I just, uh, I figured I'll just go with the arguing or the um, the last day generation children and no respect for them parents and all them things. So I'll just do that. You know, I'll go through all that to get what I needed. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, that, I think that's the nature of, of a calling. If you have a calling, nothing stops you. So, and unfortunately you have to take all the other stuff that comes with it, but hey, <laughs> so be it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So television was the first inspiration. And then when I was able to um, go out and, um, involve myself in at first commercial clubs I would say um and I started late I started like uh going to clubs around 22 and that was late for me uh, when I spoke to other people but um at, at, around my time that was so um I would say I would still at that time use influences from television but when i found the underground in 1980 i will never forget that when i found the underground then everything changed mm. my influences came from a large source of being um let's say the term i would love to use is swimming in the same sea because if 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 somebody comes to something new or new to them rather because it wasn't new it was just new to me if somebody comes to something that's totally new to them, first they're overwhelmed by what they see. And then you become influenced by things that you can easily relate to or gives you pleasure. So there were a lot of dancers in my time. There was um, Mike and George Ramsaw. There was um, Mike Dungey. There was, um, there was Rick. Rick, yeah, there was Rick, there was um, Luce Louie, there was Baby, there was Zuleka, there was Zuma, there was a whole host of people. Now, the funny thing is, in those days, you just wanted to dance. So I would jump from scene to scene to scene to scene. Now, the hustle scene, I used to hang up, hang out at 110th Street in Cathedral. And I'll never forget her name. Her name was Kitty Guzman. She was one of my dancing partners back then. And um, I started doing the hustle, but who actually taught me the hustle was Roma Irizarry. You know, because back in those days, people weren't so really quick to like share that kind of thing. Uh -huh. It was kind of tricky, but that's young people, you know. <laughs> you know. Guilty. Yeah, yeah. People didn't kind of exactly freely share that kind of thing. But when you became the it dancer, everybody wanted to dance with you. But aside from that, they would just ignore you in the room, you know? <laughs> I, I, it's I, weird how yeah. not a lot changes after five decades. Yes, absolutely. But it's funny. But still, a lot stays the same, which is strange. Very strange to me. Like, for instance, um, I think it's a natural need for people to be accepted so that means whether you're doing a, um, a popping style or rather accepted by your peers, whether you're doing a popping style, house style, a fast footwork style, whatever it is, for young people, it's important for them to be accepted by either the people they look up to or are inspired by. And mm. does not change regardless what decades we're talking about. At least for, for club dancers, you know, it wasn't so... Um, divided let's say and codified as it is now uh -huh. but um like for instance we would find a very simple fact of being in a club and you have maybe five different styles happening in the same club because basically everybody's there to dance to the music you know they're not really there to show their skill to the other person that can happen but that wasn't the primary reason. 
I see. So how do you feel about that, that codification that's happened now? Well, there's two sides to this story. One, in my time, all we had was memories and folklore and um, telling history through oral history. So perceptions of what a person tells someone can vary from 10 people who are in the same room seeing the same thing at the same time. Yeah. So certain things can be embellished, certain things can be left out, but it would not actually be an accurate representation of what is being seen. That's without the emotion. Um, Your generation now has mobile devices that can record anything at any moment. Now, one part of that is that well, visual history will not be lost. But the funny, strange thing is that visual history, the interpretation of the motivation behind what you're seeing will never be told. Wow. Yeah, so that's, that's, um, that's the challenges with, with having everything right there. But you, you can't put the cart before the horse. That means all dance comes from real life. All steps come from motivation. If you do not know what the motivation is, how can you be in the same um, vernacular? It doesn't have to be the same exact step, but the same dialogue or the same fuel that fuels your outcome. That's what's important to me anyway. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, it really does. It's, it's like you can, you can practice vocabulary in a language, but without context, you're not, you're not saying the same thing. Absolutely. I mean, there are many Asian countries that are amazing with what they do, but if you don't have the motivation and the initial impetus, why you're doing what you're doing, I have a saying that goes, you know, combinations without content, it means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Mm. Absolutely nothing. You, you, what, are you just moving for moving sake and think that's enough? We're not machines. We're meant to feel. We're meant to hurt. We're meant to, to love. We're meant to hate. We're meant to long. We're meant to do, um, do things we're not proud of. We're meant to be proud. We're meant to, to involve the seven deadly sins. We're meant to do all of these things. If you take all of that away, Anybody can learn a skill, man, but not everybody can dance. <sighs> and that's just the real real of it all. But there are a lot of people, a lot of young people, I'll say, that are only concerned with being surface dancers, only the surface. But if you swim long enough in the sea that you're in, you'll have to go deeper. That is the nature and order of things and evolution and understanding. Hmm. So, I mean, that, that, that's kind of a perfect example of what I'm talking about in, in the sense of you having mentored so many young people over the course of your career. So what's aside from all of that gold you've just dropped on anybody listening in, um, what's something that you wish more young dancers today could understand? They can understand that you cannot have everything yesterday. You can't. The one thing in all of this equation that you cannot beat is time. Time is there for understanding. Time is there for contemplation and, and um, progression. And time is there for honing your skills. You can't set a definite and finite goal. It does not work that way. Oh, I'm going to be famous in two years. I had a kid, um, an acquaintance that I knew when I was 25. Um, he had said that he was, he's going to be famous by 25. And he was like maybe 18 then. Uh-huh. And I thought, when he said that to me, I thought, wow. Um, the first thing that came to my mind was, well, if you're going to say that to me, just as a young person, to me, I interpret that as, well, by any means necessary, this is going to be my goal. Yeah. I think it's nice to have a goal, but 
the um but to say that i want to be famous i think that's for the wrong reason only because you're depending on the adoration of an outside source as opposed to your inside fuel mm. i can understand if it says yeah you know i want to be successful at at um at being an artist okay i get that but if you want to be famous fame is fleeting they love you today you make one mistake you're remembered for that mistake for the rest of your life you're remembered for that mistake for the rest of your life and your fleeting fame could be hot today who are you tomorrow <laughs> i mean come on yeah i mean i i uh i came up mostly in the Los Angeles dance scene uh, while I was training with Charles out there. Yes. And, and I, you know, I'm sure it's pretty similar in New York, uh, but in LA it was, we just get so much of that. So many people like just coming to that city, striving to be famous. And I always had to ask myself when I'd hear things like that, mm -hmm. Like famous, famous for what? Is it is it more important that you're known, or is it more important that you've done something? Like what? Why should people love you? What are you What are you hoping to give the world, or do you just want to be loved? See, that's the introspection that that most and all people should have to cross. The L.A. is basically the movie capital of the world, or the entertainment capital hub. You know, for certain things, of course. Um, when people come with a dream, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. But Hollywood can be Hollyweird sometimes, a lot. And the monster is real. You know, innocent people coming to the monster, thinking that everything is run on talent alone, unfortunately, find out the hard way that that's not necessarily so. And unfortunately, there are certain aspects of Hollywood that run so far and so deep, they, they will never change, at least not in 10 years. Mm. You know, I mean, we're only now bringing light to the casting couch. And come on, that's been done since the creation of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, they were, they, it was... The, the whole Weinstein thing was an open secret. Exactly. Like, Seth, exactly. like everyone was joking about it for years. Seth MacFarlane like called it out at an awards ceremony, like just a few years prior to him, you know, to, to Weinstein being arrested. There you go. You get all these people that, that all these people that know about it and then nothing gets done until, you know, mm -hmm. just some crack in the floodgate. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's basically how everything is being sold. For instance, oh, if you work hard, you can get such and such and this and the other. Now, I'm not being a defeatist. I'm being a realist. That would be honestly true if all of the level playing fields are even. But that's mm -hmm. not. Sometimes if a person, let's say, is auditioning for a part, they might be the best dancer for the part but they don't have that look so the hardest thing I had to learn even in this whole field was that it's not that you are not good it's just a matter of you are not what they're looking for yeah and that's the hardest thing to take because I don't think at least in this country we don't prepare ourselves for rejection because of what we're um, we're always sold the quote unquote the American dream, whatever that is, and I think that it equal it equivalates to success and being successful. But somebody had a quote a long time that says, um, "The measure of my success is how many times I failed," and I thought I thought that was a wonderful, wonderful adaptation. A wonderful, That's beautiful. It's beautiful, isn't it? Because that means no matter how many times I fail, I get up again and I try. So that when I am successful, the taste is much sweeter. And if I should lose from being successful, at least I've been there and I've been there before. 
so it's not really devastating that I can't rise again. I mean, that's that's amazing. Yeah, and I mean, I've definitely met people um, in certain situations with auditions or battles mm-hmm. or just just amazingly talented people, and you can tell that they've worked hard to get where they mm-hmm. are. And at the same time, it's like, oh, the worst thing that could happen to you right now is if you get this or if you win this. Exactly. Because then where do you go from? So here's the thing. I honestly believe that you have to make yourself happy with the least common denominator. Once you're happy with the least common denominator, everything else is win-win. For instance, Bravo. Love my Bravo. He has an amazing saying. Shout out to Bravo. Yes, Bravo. He has an amazing saying, just be happy you're in the room. Mm -hmm. So if I come to a battle, let's say, and I win, this is great. I'm happy. If I come to a battle and I don't perform or enter and I'm just there to soak up the vibe and feel the music, I'm happy. I win. If I come to a battle, I enter and lose horribly. I'm so happy that I, I got a chance to dance in front of people. I win. But that's not how a lot of young people are taught. They're taught is either or. It's either like, I got to battle, I got to give everything, I got to destroy, or be totally humiliated. Things in extremes in life don't necessarily work like that. So I would recommend to young people, whenever you do something, you have to really dig deep and find out the reason why you're doing it. You got to do it for the right reason. Whether it's music, art, dance, or drama, you have to figure out why you're doing what you're doing. If you're doing it totally dependent on an outside adoration or acceptance, you're in the wrong, 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 wrong lane. Mm. Yeah, you come first in this whole equation. Not an outside source. They get the benefit of your pleasure and your talent. That's Mm-hmm. Once you interpret certain things in a way that protects your inner child, yeah, it's win-win. Yeah, when you um, that that saying by Bravo is just fantastic. The um, just be happy that you're in the Absolutely. room, yeah. especially because there's so many people that that can't be there anymore. You yeah. know, life life bleeding. Yes, and I mean, sorry to. Uh, I, I have to, I, I just remembered, I have to give my condolences. You you lost a friend recently yeah, to the, uh, the Lawrence, COVID-19 virus. Lawrence, that guy, let me tell you something. Lawrence, you know what it's like back in the days, whenever you partied with someone, you didn't necessarily know what they did for a living, where they lived. All you knew is that when you were at the party, they were there. And the time that you share is real quality time. Was that mm. dude? He was that dude, you know, for years. I didn't even know his name. No way. All I knew is that, up there's my man right there. Let's go. And and we would just party, have a good time, laugh, joke, dance, you know, and he had, he had that for everyone. Not just me, somebody who, I mean, he would say, yo, I I, I dig the way you dance. That's, that's kind of dope. You know, he, he was an amazing cat, an amazing cat. You know, this evil virus thing strikes down anyone. It's non-discriminatory. So, you know, when I heard, and I heard this from my friend Josh Milan, who was one of the original um, uh, members of the group Blaze back in the, um, in the 80s. Uh-huh. Um, when he texted me that Lawrence died, I was like, wow. I'm like, done. You know, this thing, unfortunately for a lot of people, it's not real and hits your inner circle or your outer circle. But once it becomes personal to you, then all of a sudden you take shit seriously. You know? Yeah, I've noticed a lot of the conspiracy theories uh, are starting to calm down once people are actually starting yeah. losing yeah. friends. Yeah. What's going I on? I mean, we can theorize all we want. All we know that there's a fact that that shit is here. <laughs> you know, that's a fact. So no matter. Well, firstly, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 ahead. no I was just going to say uh, just raising a glass to your friend, Lawrence Smith, 
and everyone else who's who's passed because yes, of this yes. virus. Um, and I was going to ask, uh, how do you see this virus affecting our community and what do you hope we learn from the pandemic? Well, obviously, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it, it's devastating to the, um, it's very devastating to the pandemic. I mean, the de- pandemic itself, rather, is very devastating to our dance community, for instance, as younger people, um, in my time, we never could have done what you young people have done with this. For instance, you can build businesses on it. Now you can raise families on it. Now you can support yourselves through a medium where not too long ago, we were laughed at by institutions Mm. saying that there's no real talent or real um discipline in what we do oh that's just frivolous you know that's just something that somebody does to waste time in in just socializing but the bottom line was back then in order to be let's say in a commercial business you had to learn street jazz or or slash jazz and some ballet and when you went and nailed an audition a um uh, the person doing the audition would be looking for trained dancers because time is money and learning choreography and yada, yada, yada. The only way a ballet um, dancer or someone in those arts could really make money was if they had joined the company that gave them benefits and uh, tour dates and such. And that was, that was the goal back then for dancers to work like that. In the MTV era, where, vi- where videos came on TV, the very first generation of videos, VH1 and all that stuff. If you notice, the dancing was totally disconnected from the actual music, which most of the time was pop. Whatever genre, they got dancers that were, quote unquote, at the time, dancers that had jazz backgrounds and ballet backgrounds street backgrounds get out of here that would never happen that's dancing looks so Mm. weird according to the music so now years down the line let's say early 90s um where the buddha stretches and 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 brian greens and all these other young fellows um where marjorie and them were discovered in some club by a particular woman who liked what they were doing to the music that was playing. Now, here's the thing. In the club, the kids are directly related to the music that they're dancing to. So if they're dancing a certain way, that's how they felt towards this music, and it fit. From that time on, if you look at the music videos, the music and dance are directly related to the genre, not not the other way around where you have this thing that you look at it. Well, it's just movement. Yeah. Let's put the movement in there because you know, the song needs a movement. Now, when you look at it, all the movement that's being created now, the music is in mind before it was the other way around before it was like, okay, we have music. We have a video. Let's just get some dancers. Not what type of dancers that go with the music. Let's just get some dancers. Yeah, they'll dance. We'll throw a little something together and it'll work. That's the industry. The industry is concerned with mediocrity. They're they're concerned about knocking that out in a short amount of time and not having to spend too much money to get the project done. They're not concerned about authenticity. They're not concerned about that. And unfortunately, that teaches dancers, well, if I learn just a little bit of this and a little bit of that, I can pass the audition. I don't have to learn the whole thing because they're not concerned with it. And my um, statement to dancers is this. Sooner or later, you're going to be the one that's going to be the choreographer or in the position of power. Don't you think you should put the right shit out there at least once and maintain Mm. your integrity? So you're not doing, let's say, hip-hop-ish as you're doing hip-hop. You're not doing that. (laughs) <laughs> I always love the terminology you have for that hip hop. Yeah, like you um, hope you're doing hip hop. Nah, mm-mm. 
you know that's that's and it's always been an issue in the industry between dancers who live this thing and what representation is being put out there kind of like in the beginning when you think about how institutions never wanted to have street um vocabulary because for them it was irrelevant but catch it but now for dancers to get work either you're touring with an artist either you're well this phenomenon making your own little videos that you're getting hits or you're um you're um teaching which is an option but aside from that all those people now that took ballet that can't get into a ballet company with benefits because it's very, very strict with benefits and touring schedules and insurance and all of that. They're running to these hip hop classes and, and urban classes just to get a little bit of vocabulary so that when the audition hits, whatever it is, they can nail the audition. It's about money and survival. So the coronavirus has shut everything down for the rest of this year for artists. And it's hit them hard because some of these kids I know very well all over the world, that's their only income. And, and yeah. for that matter, it's devastating. And after this thing is over, it'll be a recession recovery period because now we have to think of how do we rebuild to get back to the same, to the same space? Like for instance, artists, can't really demand as much money as they did before because nobody has it. Mm, I mean, wow. that's a fact, you know? And if somebody does have it, it's going to be a longer time in between those um, frequencies of work in order for them to get quality. So I think this now is a, um, a real fact of rebuilding a different type of thought that is adapted to the end of times, <laughs> you know? Mm. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, uh, I, I think that might answer the question. Um, yeah. No, I think I think you nailed it uh, pretty perfectly. You actually brought something up that I, you know, didn't even think about because it's not just waiting for the pandemic right. to pass. It's also, we're going to have to deal with yeah. reconstruction and it's, it's going to be a lot longer a road for Ooh. artists than, than for people in now it's industries. a global it's going to be a um it's going to be a collective reconstruction only because all of us will be in the same position so we move forward True. so let's say for instance um i demanded a thousand dollars to do so and so and such and such regardless of my tenure regardless how old i am regardless whatever knowledge i have now i have to reconsider what's more important for me do I do I say okay? Well, this is my this is my value. Um, I'm not going to underscore my value. Blah blah blah. Now, ethically, in your mind, that would make sense because you spent X amount of years training and learning and having life experience and such and such. But it's kind of like the story. Do you want to be the king in your castle? And you don't have any subjects to share your your knowledge with. Because they can't reach you because of whatever reason you think that everything is the same. It's not. You have to adapt to the times. And that's got to be so disheartening for so many dancers out there because we've already been experiencing problems with being Absolutely. undervalued with... You know, if if we speak up for ourselves and demand what we're worth because of all the years of training and, and experience, uh, they'll just go to some younger, dumb, desperate dancer who doesn't care and will do, you know, anything for well, 50 bucks. Well, we are bucks. our own worst enemy. I mean, that, that's, that is something, believe it or not, Rob, that is something that goes way, way, way back because of how the industry necessarily treats dancers. For instance, have you ever heard, ah, oh, yeah. You know, dancers, there are a dime a dozen. In order mm. to get, let me tell you what the industry also has, has unfortunately set the precedence. Well, I'm a big organization. I have a big artist and I need dancers. It's an idea. I need dancers. So I'll say to the dancers, well, 
you know, we don't have a budget, but this is a great opportunity. Now, a dancer has a choice of either taking that opportunity for nothing and have the potential possibility, not guarantee, that their visibility will get them more work on this particular artist's dossier, or rather have this artist, this artist on their dossier. Now, if you're the cat that figures, okay, well, in order to get through that door, I have to invest. So if I have to invest something for free, first of all, can I withstand the time that it takes in on the hope train that I'll get a paying gig by constantly doing all of these free gigs? That's number one. Um, that sets a interesting mindset, but it also sets a dangerous precedence because now you have to figure out, well, what is my value? If I ask too much, I'll never get the gig. Now, once again, um, those big companies, they do things like, uh, like they price around. Well, you know, uh, this is our budget. That's all we got. Now, you as an artist either have the choice of, yes, I'll take it, or no. But none, well, most don't try to negotiate to say, well, well, this is blah, 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 blah. Now, you got to remember, if you put yourself, sometimes in order to get a, a, a better gig, you have to throw one away. That's something that's very hurtful, but it's very true. Because not necessarily every gig is for you. Even though you may need the money. Like I used to say this when I was younger, that I was a whore for hire. <laughs> you can use my body for whatever. I will have no emotional attachment to it just to get that little money and keep it moving. But after a while, that kind of messes with your, your dance soul, you know? Um, yeah. So, but that was the thinking of a younger man, you know? Okay. Well, you know, I'll be a whore for hire. So once I, and that was only like maybe one gig that I did and, and I didn't like the way it let me, it left me feeling. So this is why yeah. I ended up doing something really different, which was um, I worked a full-time job and still danced. Actually, I worked two jobs for 28 years, still danced, used my vacation time wisely, and attached it to my weekends so I could fly out to another country, teach, and come back and be at work the next day. And nobody knew anything for 28 years. Wow. Now, my, my suggestion to young people is, Sometimes you have to suffer for your art, but by any means necessary, within reason, meaning um, the most that I'm going to lose is sleep. So I figured I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, if it means that I'm going to lose a yeah. little sleep, if I work two jobs and still make this gig and be there on time. Hey, you know, my job to young people, I mean, my, um, my um, uh, advice to young people is your body's your temple, you keep it happy, you keep it healthy, you keep it holy, whatever the thing is you believe in. You know, if you abuse your vessel, your vessel will not do and give you what you need for it to give you. You have to be mindful mm. of your vessel. You know, oh yeah, well the thing, well, well young people, they always have this funny saying that yes, a youth is wasted on the young only because when you're young, you feel you're invincible. You can do anything. And that's how you should feel. But everything does not come without risk or consequences. And that's the equation that doesn't change. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking as somebody who's still young, but not as young as he was, like the injuries are lasting a little longer Absolutely. than they used to. Rebound is a little Absolutely. more of a process. And you, so and you have to adjust to I that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and speaking of adjusting, like you, since we are talking about the economics of this and how things mm -hmm. are going to be so much more difficult than maybe some people are planning oh, for, it will. Do you think? Do you think dancers have any reason for optimism right now? Is there anything that we can can kind of like hold Believe on to through not, this? Yes, because um, the funny thing is, dancers basically 
did this because of, let's say, a, a precedence of a system that was in place, meaning, you know, let's say what my generation did that inspired them to do what they're doing. If, you, if I look back, I'll say, well, basically, they did that uh, out of nothing, you know, just the need to dance and had an idea and get people of like mind and like vision to go in the same direction. Um, because it's already in place. The hardest thing for dancers now to do is to say, okay, let's say tomorrow the virus is over. And how do we get back to mm -hmm. our normal lives? Now, if we hold things the way they are, as they are, um, the opportunity of people to come back, obviously people would want a flood to come back because they need that, that physical exercise. But what I would do, what I would do, I'd give a little grace period of, of uh, let's say, a, an economic buffer. For instance, I would say if, I would, if, if my classes were $30 and kids wanted to come back uh -huh. and like, oh, man, yeah, and we know that for three months, nobody had work. For three months, nobody had um, income like that. They had some income, but it wasn't like that. What I would do as a, as um, almost like a, um, not necessarily a, a, the word gift, but in sympathy of, of, of a rebuild, have a certain amount of time that you give like a, um, whether it's a discount, a credit or something like that to rebuild, to rebuild yeah. your, um, your financial flow. Um, that's helpful to the, to the students coming back and their parents. Uh -huh. And then you, after that particular, um, the particular grace period, then you can decide to, to get back to normal. Obviously that will be different for everyone, depending on their, um, their, uh, demographic of students and what, what they're teaching. But um, I don't see things like automatically. And I think this is in any business. I don't think things automatically er, boom, go right back to the way they were when this thing is over. It can't. And in some, in some instances, yeah, it, it shouldn't. Can't. There's no way it can't. Can you imagine? I have a mortgage. I'm trying to pay my mortgage. I don't have money. I don't have work. Can't pay the mortgage. Fine. I asked the bank, the bank says, and this is something that I hope the listeners are um, really paying attention because everything is in the wording. Even though the governor had said that, oh yeah, you can, um, we'll, 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 no mortgage payments for three months. And then after that, we get back to normal. Let me explain. There's certain things and certain words as for instance, forbearance. Forbearance is a very tricky word. It's not as clean as you would expect it to be for instance my mortgage let's say is two grand so i don't pay two grand on this forbearance that i ask from the bank each month so to this month is what uh april don't pay april don't pay may don't pay june and then i'm thinking okay now i can start back in july well the forbearance is on that third month you have to give them all the months that you missed. How does that make sense if you didn't have money to pay your first mortgage that month and now you owe those three months plus the new month to be on time? Oh, well, it won't affect your credit rating. We made sure of that. That credit rating doesn't mean nothing if you don't have income coming in. That does not help a person. Now, I don't know how banks do mm. their numbers, but obviously... They're trying to do things where they don't lose any money. Well, that's impossible. Everybody's losing something. Now, what I would have done would simply be this. Real simple. You don't pay for the three months, and you tack those three months at the end of your agreement, whatever that agreement is. So, for instance, if a person is, is just getting back to work after this thing, 
and they're trying to catch up, they will not catch up a full three months in one month. They're not going to do that. That's impossible. impossible. So the best thing to do is start them as if, let's say you buy a new car and the new car says, hey, you get three months before your first payment. And when you get your first payment is the exact payment of the amount that you agreed. That wasn't an issue. This is special circumstances. Every institution could do that. Trust me, they can. But they choose not to with these certain words that they use on their contracts. So anybody listening out there, pay attention to this so-called three-month grace period. Because, for instance, I have another bank here, PNC Bank, who says, okay, we'll give you forbearance, but here's the catch. You won't pay for those three months, but in those three months, the interest is going to be $2.07 for every day up till the time your forbearance is over. So 90 days times $2. And that is added to your next payment that you'll make after the forbearance with your regular payment. Now, let me ask you that. So if I'm just making 600 bucks and I pay 600 bucks on this agreement, that means 600 bucks plus 188, whatever that was added. So if I'm having a hard time paying 600, how am I going to pay seven for that? And then you, you see what I'm saying? All of that yep. should be forgiven. This is special circumstances, a world circumstance a world circumstance capitalism was good in an idea that you can build this and build that but you know what these are special times where sometimes you have to eat the bear these big companies they have to eat the bear if they want more business you know for anyone listening eat the rich let me tell you something and then they're trying not to lose anything and the thing is But if you lose a little rich, for instance, it's not going to hurt you. Trust me, it's not going to hurt you, you know. But unfortunately, the mentality of more is more. Keep all I got. Don't give what I can. Now, unfortunately, for some, that's their mantra. But for the guys don't have that, that, that are just trying to make ends meet, it's an issue. So my advice is really look at those situations with, look, facts are facts. All bills are going to be late. All of them. I don't care who it is. I don't care where it is. So once we get that out of our heads that, oh God, I got to get this on time. I got to get this on time. It ain't going to happen. We have to work with you. Mm-hmm. They have to. Other, uh, Let's say, for instance, they don't. So what if all of a sudden money's going to go and your, your account is going to go into foreclosure? whatever that foreclosure is, if it's a credit card, so they'll charge it off. Big deal. They call you, call you, call you. I know it's, it's a bad thing in saying that, but they call you. If you don't have the money to give them, you can't, you can't bleed money out of a rock. You know? So the bottom line is, in these special times, there's always a way for an agreement to be made or an attempt of an agreement to be made. Because the thing is, everything coming down the road is uncertain because of the economy, because of what your job condition may be, because of automation. You know, we just have to figure that out. And, and unfortunately, that means sometimes making hard calls, you know. Um, so as far as our dance community is concerned, the rebuild process, I think, should be slow. It shouldn't jumpstart like it was before because that's not going to happen realistically that's not going to happen i'm not being pessimistic it's just the way that i'm seeing it i don't see that happening that way and that makes sense and i mean to anyone listening like listen to what the man just said like stay safe know uh your capabilities and protect yourselves because this is going to be a long and we're all hurting you know we're all hurting but the thing is the fact that we're all hurting I think brings a collective consciousness in how do we move forward? For instance, online Mm -hmm. classes were 
an option for some, but I, I and, and, and only because I'm in this podcast, I'm only going to give my opinion on that. If you do an online, online class, it should be done as a gift. Because, because of the mm. platforms, there are many platforms that um, the timing in the delay of how you're seeing the information is off. And anybody who knows me, I'm a stickler about music first and rhythm. I cannot teach somebody if they're yeah. not in the room to see if they're rhythm challenged or not. Just giving somebody a movement is not enough. For me, it's not enough. You have to get the full understanding and, generation and, and generating information of the movement, where it comes from, the balance in the body, the, 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 the weight changes, the inflections, all of that. You can't do that on a video. No matter how much I describe it, if I cannot see it in the room with me, it will not. To real time, to the music that's, that's now, actually Now, this is what I was played. saying before, Rob, about you can't beat the clock. Now, honest, now, obviously, these technologies are here for young people, so they have to figure out how to make it work best for them. But certain things do not change. You cannot just learn a skill, put any music behind you, and not pay attention to the music and do the skill and say, hey, I'm dancing. You're doing the physical part of it, but that's not dancing. No, it's not. Anybody can learn a skill. Again, not everybody can dance. So here's the thing. I see popping, right? All over the world, I see it. And these kids are popping way too fast, and they're popping off beat. But just because you're doing the mm -hmm. movement does not mean you're killing it. There are many, many competitions I've watched, and I was a judge where we would have like all style battles and the kid is doing dope stuff, but he's popping all off beat. And I'm going, that means you're not even, you're not even doing square one. You cannot do your alphabet starting from G H I J. You have to start from a, I don't care how, how, how look, these kids, they can do amazing things. They can jump over my head. They can even levitate and shit. Ha ha. <laughs> I am not concerned with that. If you cannot do that on beat day one, it's like trying to learn a language. And if I, if I, if, if I'm speaking French and I say, um, G Mapel, um, G Mapel, Arch, G Mapel, what is G Mapel? Je m'appelle. Oh, oh, je m'appelle. You see what I'm saying? You, mm. you, you, you cannot just because you, you know it let's say you know the thing from the outside or the structure of it, or let's say the physical part of it, and you don't know the musical part of it because you never considered that? No, absolutely not. Putting the cart before the horse. That, for me, will never change. I don't care who's out there. I don't care who it is. That will never change with me. Archie's I'm laying down the law, y'all there that are so no, believe you. what they do they couldn't stand on beat to save their life in a paper damn bag <laughs> i am not concerned with that because the truth of the matter is you bring their ass in a club they get shot down hard it's like dude what, what, what are you so. even listening at you know just because you're doing something where you're visual on social media and and you're getting all these hits because people like you don't mean you know, excuse my friends, what the fuck you doing? Because you don't. Obviously, if you can't do mm -hmm. that on beat to music, you just do. I had one thing. Oh, this was crazy. It was in a battle. Um, it was one, one of the Asian countries where it was a b-boy battle. And, and the kids said, one of the just said, well, I'm not concerned about the music. I'm just concerned about, you know, the, the moves that they're doing. And I said, see, that's the disconnect. That's the disconnect when your generation does not grow up partying. And you're going to say, because you said that at this age, because you're way, way younger, you're saying at this age, that's what you're concerned about. That's all you're worried about. That's all you you're sending the wrong message. And just because you're doing that, you're not you're not the culture, baby. You're not. The culture is with the people in the club 
doing the sweat, doing the time, having the music fuel them. It does not change. All these kids want to reinvent shit. And I'm like, you can't reinvent not being on beat. Hello? Either you are or you're not. And not to, uh, yeah, not no, to, go ahead, go ahead. to cut that off because I, I love where this is going, but you, you brought something up regarding culture and the people. And that reminds me that I, I've spoken a bit on previous episodes of this podcast about the role that queer and trans people of color have played in the foundation Absolutely. of much of the culture that we enjoy take part in. From dance, from dance styles to music yep. to fashion to slang. And, and, and despite all that they've given us, it's still fairly common to see straight dancers taking part in queer bashing, particularly online. Mm-hmm. So my question to you, as a straight man who spent the majority of his life dancing these dances and witnessing the struggles yep. of queer dancers, is there, is there anything you'd like to say regarding yeah. this divide? Um, if they were all that in doing, um, in the bashing and all of that, well then, you know, leave the vocabulary alone, leave it alone, but you can't because here's the thing. Movement is for everybody. What they would normally do is if they saw something that was in a a little LGBTQIA movement, they would somehow, it was, it was a common practice to somehow take that movement, try and change it and say that, Hey, you know, I did this, I did that. And, and it's on the, either the heterosexual or masculine, um, on the, I did that, but you'll never tell anybody where you got it from because you want notoriety to say that I created this. Well, let me tell you something. My mother used to say something. She said, you know, Archie, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing. What is the problem with acknowledging where you get something? Because everybody's about the me, me, me. Well, the general idea. I want to be noted for this. I want to be noted for that. I want to be noted for that. It's this whole thing we have about being accepted and being the first to do anything. It's almost like a first race. I want to be the first to do this. I want to be noted for that. I want to be blah, blah, blah. Because this is how we're pegged in society. So here's the thing. If you're in, like, for instance, tutting, you know, when, when a lot of the kids back then, the straight kids, saw the gay kids voguing, they used to call that gay tutting, which I used to crack up at, you know? Why can't you just call it mm. what it is? You know? But once again, it's the need to not feel or acknowledge that if I acknowledge what I see, it's some reflection on me with my peers. Yeah. And this is the part in life where we have to get over that. Look, everybody, for instance, everybody wants to be down and doing in the business in Hollywood and make a success. Hate to tell you people. Half of the people running that stuff, they're in the life. You know, so you you want to be famous and be down for getting what you want to get. But the people controlling those doors, half of them are in the life. So if you're going to be so true to what you're saying about bash this, bash that, bash that, get out the game, baby, because you won't make it. When you get to the point mm. where you're not afraid of, quote unquote, what you see. The moment a dancer starts to compartmentalize movement, that is the end of a dancer's career. There's a lot to be mm. learned by different energies in a room. And that's a mantra that anybody listening to this has to take with them and practice that. There's a lot to be learned by different energies in the room. If you only stay with one particular energy, it's like incest. It's exactly what it is. In order for a species to survive, you need different strains of different um, different input. Inbreeding causes dysfunction. That's just the way it works. Life will show you that. You know, for instance, If all of us knew everything, we'd be a bunch of stupid people because none of us would even so much as 
have any need for advancement. Everything would stay exactly the same. And, and, and a culture dies like that. A culture doesn't thrive. It just exists. We're not talking about that. Mm. We're talking about how perceptions and, and inspirations and input is the fuel for creativity. What's so wrong with saying, hey, I was watching a football game and the way the guy passed the, passed the, the football and the way he caught it, it just hit me a certain way. And I came up with this step with that influence. What's wrong with saying that? What's wrong with saying that? You know, everybody influenced by everything. Now, my problem with, with certain dances are this. You do not teach the influence because you yourself don't know what the influence was. That's not passing on education. That's just copying somebody. If I point to you and the point is the point that says, you get the hell out of my face. But all you see me is point and you just aimlessly throw your finger out over there. You're pointing to me, but you don't have that motivation that definitely articulates why you're doing that. It's very clear when you see it. But if another person just sees you point and they don't know that, they figure, oh, all he's just doing is pointing at him. Why is he pointing at him? Get out of my face. That's different. There you Context go. is key, y'all. Thank you. So this is my, 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 I guess, all of that to say, in order to be a very elevated performer and dancer, you have to have your motivation and you have to have your emotion motivate your motion. Let it fuel your motion. Once you do that, and it's clear, any dancer out there knows when they make an emotional connection to what they're doing, it changes forever. And it begins to live and breathe. Mm. Not a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight skill with nothing that goes down. It's one thing to learn choreography. It's another thing to live through choreography. Feel that. Mm. That's uh, that's it's some pretty profound truth. Some choreographers don't want you to have um, your own vision, so that's why I say I I can be a you know a prostitute for hire. You know I will do I will default how to say I will take my personality out and I will do exactly what you want me to do for that vision of that choreographer. That's a choice. You know, but if you're giving me choreography and um. You want, now it's a choice if they're asking, and you want the person to, to live through that choreography. It's totally different. So I think um, as dancers, you have to know why you do what you do and what the end result will be and the motivation behind what you do what you do. Sorry to cut you off, but that's what I needed. No, no, that was, it needed to be said. So um, we're coming yes. up to the end of the time. But yeah. before we go, uh, one more question that I wanted to ask, and it's not really fair because it's not something I guess that mm -hmm. one could answer quickly. But um, we've talked a lot over the years. You've talked a lot about um, discovering yeah. self-love, yeah. um, and it, it hasn't been easy as uh, nope. six foot four, dark nope. skinned black man in America to, to nope. necessarily find that. So for, for you, I guess my mm -hmm. last question mm -hmm. in regards to dance would be, what do you love most about the way you dance? Honestly, believe it or not, this is a weird question for, well, weird, weird answer for some people. Um, what, I love, what I love about the way I dance is the music, because I interpret myself not as a dancer. I interpret myself as a musician, not a dancer. Because for me, the music mm. has always been first. So whatever comes out of me, um, people will say, well, music and dance goes hand in hand. A person can dance without music. I said, well, if a person dances without music, as far as I'm concerned, they're just moving. It's true. You're just, <laughs> moving. You're just moving. True. You know, if there's music and that is the background and you're dancing to that music, 
it becomes more than movement, you know. Music is like music and art, you know. So I personally enjoy the um, the way the music makes me feel and that I can be an instrument in addition to the music. Let's say I'm the next track that's added to the music. That's how I interpret me. And I have more fun mm. that way. Kids always ask me, well, if I get a song in a battle and I hate the battle, hate the song, what do I do? I'm going to give away the simple gem. It's hard to do, but once you understand it, it works. You consider yourself the next track added to that song. So that means you use yourself as a musical instrument added to that song to make the song better. Idea. Mm. Like I used to hate this song. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. The Lumi D song, oh my God. I used to hate that song. I said, I'm going to do my experiment. Uh-huh. So play the song, and then I added another beat to the song. Like, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. That little added piece I found interesting with that song. So I physically danced that beat to that song. And when people see that, they go, oh shit. Wow. Yo, I didn't hear that in the song. It makes it interesting. Because you're not out of time. But see, this is why you have to listen to a lot of music. You have to learn how to scat. You have to learn how to, and I say listen to a lot of jazz. You have to know music timing. You have to do all of that stuff. You can't jump all of that. You learn that in the club. You learn that for many years of partying. You learn that. You just can't imitate it without having some kind of meat and potatoes behind you by immersing yourself in the culture and in the music, period. And there's no shortcut behind that. That's what I meant to say. Archie, thank you so much You're for agreeing welcome. to come on the show. I very much appreciate it. And honestly, like uh-huh. if I could spend the next six hours doing this, I absolutely would. <laughs> um, so for you and for anyone else at home listening, um, anybody who's still got drink left in their glass, I just want to raise our glasses in a toast to the end of the world. There you go. Cheers, cheers. And cheers. Uh, so this was uh, Rob Celtic uh, with Archie Burnett uh, signing off. Um, yes, we, we will. We will endure. We will grow. Absolutely. Yes, we will. And we You're will overcome. Welcome. Thank you so much. This episode of Drinking and Dance at the End of the World was written and produced by me, Rob Celtic. Music for this episode was provided by the one and only Feathers. That's F-T-H-R-S. You can find more of his work on Spotify and Bandcamp under Feathers. If you like what you heard and want to support the show, stay tuned for our upcoming Patreon page, as well as links to how you can help support each of our guest dancers during this time of global upheaval. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.